Thanks for joining us online today. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, we would love for you to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We hope that you enjoy the message. What's up, Next Level? Woo! So glad that everyone's here today. I want to welcome everyone here at Plantation, also at our Gateway Campus, uh, and all the services this whole weekend. Man, so glad to be here and to be able to share in week two of our Be Desperate series. And man, what a great launch last week as Pastor Matt shared, and it was incredible as we launched into this. And I hope that so many of us are engaging with the prayer, the, the prayer times of 714 uh, in the morning and, the, and at night. Uh, also with the soap guys, if you're following along these 40 days of soaping together, reading the Bible together, it really is our opportunity to be desperate and take a step in with him. And so I'm excited today because I get to share, uh, I'm talking about desperate prayer today. We're going to talk about desperate prayer today. And uh, the reason why is is because desperate prayers get God's attention. Desperate prayers get God's attention. And if you look throughout the Bible, and especially the story of Jesus, you'll see that there are times when there are desperate people who come onto the scene when Jesus is on the earth. And when they come onto the scene, they are desperate. And when they're desperate, it seems like Jesus spends a little bit more attention or, or pays a little bit more attention to them as they're going through it. I was reading a story uh, this yesterday, actually, of a story of Bartimaeus. And he's a blind guy. He's actually blind. And he was sitting there, and he hears all this crowd coming, all this ruckus is happening, everything that's going on. And he starts to hear, and he, he hears that Jesus, who can apparently heal people is walking down the road. Well, this blind guy, you know, he kind of realizes I'm not going to be able to find Jesus in the midst of this crowd. So he just starts yelling his name. He starts yelling, Jesus! Like he starts yelling, like that's all he's doing. And the people around him, it's interesting when you read the story, the people around him are like, shh, quiet. Like they're trying to quiet him down, which what, what friend is going to tell you to be quiet? Like, that's your one shot. This is your one chance. This is the one guy who could heal you, and the people around him are telling him to be quiet. And as soon as they tell him to be quiet, he yelled all the louder. Basically, he yelled louder. And it was amazing to see that. And I, I, the story, and we're not going to go into that story very much, but I think for some of us, when we find ourselves in desperate circumstances and desperate situations, what we tend to do is we tend to tell ourselves, maybe I just need to give up. Maybe I just need to stop. Maybe I just need to, and those voices that are telling Bartimaeus to stop, those voices maybe live in our head or they're in our friends and our family around us. And I think sometimes in the midst of our desperation, one of the things that we need to do is not to stop praying or not to pray less, but actually get a little bit louder in our prayers. And when Bartimaeus got louder, Jesus came over and he ended up healing him because desperate prayers get God's attention. So today we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about how do we pray and make sure that we're praying uh, in a way that's going to get God's attention. Because here's what I know about prayer. So I was thinking about this and going, okay, we're in a church. Of course, we're going to talk about prayer. And if you've been in church for a while, you know that prayer is important and you know it's good. But I would guess that for some of us, 
that, that prayer is one of those things that's a little bit more awkward than we like to admit at times. I, I would guess that for some of us that we go, yeah, we would say, yeah, it's important to pray. But if we were to be honest, we, sometimes it's a little bit awkward. I was thinking about this. I think sometimes for some of us, prayer is similar to the way that, we, the way that I feel when I go visit people in the hospital. Okay, as a pastor, I have to go visit people in the hospital every once in a while. Not as much as we used to. Our church has grown, and honestly, we have some amazing pastors on our staff now who are so much better at it than I am. Like, I'm just not very good at it. One time, there's a lady, uh, it was early on in our church, and she had surgery. And it was just Pastor Matt and myself, and one of us had to go visit her in the hospital. And I said, hey, man, I'll go. And I walk in, I knock on the door, and they say, come in. And I assume that if you say come in at the hospital, it means you're allowed to walk in the room. And I walked in the room, and this lady is in the middle of a sponge bath. Now, all of her bathing suit areas are covered, but they are, like, they are giving her a sponge bath. And they all look shocked, and I'm a little bit shocked. And I'm standing there, and I kind of stop, and I'm like, oh, no. Like, this is not, not good timing at all. And you would think that I would go, hey, guys. Good to see you. Sorry. Obviously, this is not the right time. I'll come back later. Not this guy. I walked over to her, said, hey, I'm here to pray for you. Put my hand on her bare shoulder, closed my eyes, and made it the most awkward prayer that hospital seen in a long time. All right. See you later. Good to see you. She didn't go to our church anymore. So we, we, <laughs> she moved away. Not necessarily because she left, but, but you know, it, it was like one of the most awkward things. I have actually, when I remember when my kids were really little, you know, how like when your kids are little, you have little, like you're, you, you have, you have as many, as much baby time as you need. I remember I visited this couple who had a baby and they're like, do you want to hold him? And I'm like, no. I'm good. I have one. You're okay. I don't need to hold your baby. Like, like, right. Like, that's not good. That's not, um, when I go to the hospital sometimes, like, I feel like I don't know exactly where to stand. I don't know exactly where to put my hand. I don't know exactly what to say when I'm there. And some of our pastors, like, they're awesome. Like, you'll have something bad happen to you or you have, like, a bad diagnosis and they'll come in and they'll talk about the love of Jesus and the hope of Christ and he's going to get us through and he's going to fight through it. I feel like I don't find those words very much when I go to those, go to the hospital room. I'm usually like, oh, dang, you are in trouble. Like, I, like I'm not, like, and in fact, I don't go to the hospital hardly at all anymore, and if I do show up at the hospital, and you're in the hospital, it's because it's worse than they're telling you, and they brought me in to help. Like, that's, that's the only reason why I go to the hospital really anymore in that process. And so I walk in, and I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do, and I don't know where to pray. I don't know where to put my hands. Okay, because you're, uh, the person in the hospital bed is covered with a sheet. And so I don't want to guess it, and I'm not sure what to do. And so I, like, grab the foot. Like, that's the safe thing for me. Let's just pray for the foot. Let's just do that. And I think sometimes when it comes to prayer, like, we feel that awkwardness. Like, we feel a little bit, I'm not sure where to go, and I'm not sure how to stand, and I'm not sure what to do, and where do I put my hands? And, you know, just that feeling of where do I, you know, how does that work? Do I kneel? Do I stand? Do I walk? Do I close my eyes? Do I close my eyes while I walk? I mean, it's, it's that feeling of... How do I pray? And I think for some of us, it, although we talk about it in church, like it, we just have to pray and we all act like we know what we're doing. I think for some of us, if we were to be honest, prayer is one of those things a little bit awkward for us. And so today we're going to talk about how we pray. Now, if you find yourself in a situation where you feel like, yeah, that's me. 
Like if we were to be honest and we were to sit down, you would go, I'm just not sure how to pray. We're actually not alone in that. In fact, the disciples who are following Jesus, who walked with Jesus throughout most of his ministry, they finally came to a place where they asked Jesus. And in Luke chapter 11, here's what they did. They walked at Jesus' off and he's praying and they walked up to Jesus and they said this. They said, one of his, one of his disciples... So basically, it didn't even mention who it is, because one of his disciples walk up, walk up to him, says, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. They said, Jesus, we see you praying. Can you teach us how to pray? And you know, and, and this, the interesting thing, I was thinking about this, that it's Luke chapter 11, which means for 10 chapters of Luke, which I don't know how long that is in time, but they have been following Jesus around, acting like they knew how to pray. They're like, go ask him how to pray. Now, I'm not asking him how to pray. You go ask him how to pray. Until one of them finally, like, fine, fine, I'll go ask him. And one of them came up. He's like, hey, hey, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? It's kind of like when, you, when, you, when you've met someone about eight times and you don't know their name, but you can't ask anymore. Like they were following for so long, it was almost like they couldn't even ask him how to pray anymore. They were supposed to know how to pray. Finally, one of them said, and it's, it's, it's anonymous, one of his disciples, didn't even mention him because as they're telling the story, they didn't want to throw that guy under the bus. And, but, but he walked up, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And then Jesus goes on and he gives them a model and teaches them how to pray. We're going to look at that model. Now, the problem with the model that Jesus gives is that we, just Christians in general, have taken the model that he's given and we've made it a prayer to recite. And it's called the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom of God. A lot of us know that prayer, but he was not teaching it as a prayer to recite. He was teaching it as a model to live by and a model to pray through. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take this model and we're going to actually take the different parts of it and the different specifics of what he's talking about in the Lord's Prayer and we're going to look at it. And I believe that as we look at it, it is going to give all of us a model as well to pray through, especially if we know the Lord's Prayer because we can pray the Lord's Prayer and stop at different parts throughout the prayer. So we're going to look at seven specifics for prayer. Seven specifics for prayer. He he goes on, he says this, He says to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. Number one, the first specific of prayer is to approach God as a loving Father. Approach God as a loving Father. Our posture towards him when we pray should be as a loving Father. I remember when I was a teenager, I had gotten into some trouble. Um, I've been arrested a couple times when I was a teenager. I've been arrested since you know, not recently at least. And so I've been arrested a couple of times and I got in some trouble and I lived in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I had done some drugs and I sold some drugs and I was involved with just, just the wrong kids. And I remember I got in this trouble and I got arrested for my last time. And my, my mom came in and she talked to the police and she said, hey, if you send him to go live with his dad in Indiana, I believe his dad will, will straighten him out and you guys won't have to deal with him anymore. The police won't have to deal with us anymore. And so they came in and said, here's what your mom said. So we're going to send you to live with your dad. And they sent me to live with my dad. Again, I've been arrested and I got caught with drugs and I got caught with a knife and I got caught with just doing all kinds of stuff. And I remember I got off the plane and I saw my dad. Now, here's what you got to know about my dad. I am six foot four, about 215 pounds. My dad is a lot bigger than I am. Okay, so he's a big guy. And so I walk off the plane and I saw him and, you know, he's like, he's just a big man. And I walk in and I'm like, oh, what's he going to do and what's he going to say? Because I have been doing some things that honestly, he should have just been on me about. And I walk over. You know what he did? He gave me a big hug. And you know what he said to me? I'm not asking. 
you're going to church. Like, that's what he said. And I remember that so vividly. And here's the reason why that sticks out to me. Because my dad was less concerned about the way I was living without him as he was the way that I was going to live with him. And I believe that God is more concerned about our future with him than our past without him. And I believe sometimes we can get so stuck and we go into hiding almost when our relationship with God, because we feel like that God will never accept us. He will never care for us. He will never love us. He, will, he, he is never going to open himself up to us until we approach God with this, almost like waiting for God to you know, come down on us or hurt us or do something. But I believe that God is more concerned about our future with him than our past without him. And I believe God wants us to come out of hiding. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Let us come to him with confidence because he is our father. It says, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When we pray, we need to pray with the confidence of a loving father because we will receive mercy and we find grace. Because our heavenly father, you know what he wants? He doesn't want to whack you. He doesn't want to get you. He doesn't want to teach you a lesson. God, the best part of God's day is letting us off the hook. The best part of God's day is letting you off the hook. And when we come to our loving heavenly father, he wants to welcome us back with open arms. And if we find ourselves today and we are in hiding and we feel like we're disconnected and we feel like we're separated and we feel like we're away, the, God's biggest desire is that you would come to him. And as we pray, we pray with a posture and a belief that he is a loving heavenly father. He's not a boss. He's not a tyrant. He's not a mean father. He is a loving father who wants what's best for us. And when we pray in that posture, it sets us up for the whole time of praying together. Because if we view him as a loving heavenly father, then everything else falls into place. And he goes on. He says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Or another way to say it is holy be your name. Holy be your name. Um, the second specific prayer is worship God as our Savior. We, ha we have to approach him as a loving Heavenly Father, then we have to worship God as our Savior. The reason why this is so important and so huge is because worship helps us remember God's bigness. Worship helps us remember God's bigness. And what it does when we worship and we decide we're going to set aside and we're going to worship and we're going to lift his name up or we're going to say, God, you are holy, you are amazing, you are awesome. What happens is it puts God into perspective and we remember how big God is. And as soon as we remember how big God is, we remember how small our problems are. Because a lot of times throughout lives, you know what we do? We make our problems bigger than they are and we make our God smaller than he is. But worship resets all of that. I have a friend who's really good with working, working on cars. And for me, I have not learned the lesson of not working on my cars. I always work on my cars. Like I, if it's broken, if YouTube can tell me how to fix it, I try to fix it. The problem with that is I can take a two-hour job and make it about eight hours. And I'm frustrated and I hate it, but afterwards I feel good about it. So for me, if my car's broken, I try to fix it first. And there have been a couple of times where I've gotten to a place where I've been in the second day of trying to fix a car, just not able to figure it out and re realizing, you know what, this just feels impossible. Until my friend Chow comes over who knows a lot about cars. And you know what? When he shows up, he makes the impossible possible because he actually knows stuff about cars. You know what worship does? Worship connects us with a big God who makes the impossible possible. Because when we see him as a big God, we realize our problems are small. And any of the problems we're facing right now are not impossible when we are connected with a big God. Because God will make the impossible possible. 
And even on the weekends and we're here and we're going through this circumstance or this situation or, or when we come in here on the weekends, one of the best things we can do and we worship. Worship is not a warm up for the message. It's not to get us all warmed up, right? That's not really the reason why for worship. What worship does is it recenters us and helps to redefine our reality and go, you know what? This is our opportunity to remember he is big. And no matter what we walk in with, no matter what we walk into church with, no matter what we walk into our life, he is big. And if we're facing an impossible situation, here's the, here's the thing. A lot of times we don't feel like worshiping, but the best thing we can do is worship. The best thing we can do in the midst of our impossible situation, and if that's you, and you're like, oh, I'm just facing this thing or this relationship or this job or my kids, and I'm not sure what to do, and it just feels impossible, one of the best things we can do is in worship say, God, you are big, you are holy, you are amazing, you are God. And because you are big and you are the creator of everything and you are the maker of everything, because of that, I know that my problem is small and that God plus me, we can do anything. And when God, we're with God, we can do anything. And our impossible situations become extremely possible. Our big problems become extremely small when we're connected with a big God. So we get to recenter and do this. And when we pray, we recognize him as our loving heavenly father, and then we worship him, and we recenter who he is and remember who he is. Now, for some of us, that looks like us in our prayer just going, God, I just right now, I lift your name up, and you are holy, and you are amazing. And God, I just want to say right now that I believe that you are big, and I am small. And some of that is worship. Some of us, it's, it's putting a worship song in, and actually putting a worship, playing a worship song, and actually spending some time recentering who we are and worshiping him as our Savior, and one of the things I love about our Next Level Worship, I mean, they just do such a great job every week. They've actually started a Spotify playlist. If you have Spotify, you can actually follow the playlist, and they have all the songs that we have around Next Level. And man, I just think one of the best things you can do, and one of the things that I do when I pray, I just kind of keep that worship music playing throughout, and it just helps to recenter and remember who he is. Because when God is big, our problems are small. And when we're reconnected with a big God, he makes the impossible possible. In verse 2, he continues on. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, God, I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done here as you want it up there. The third thing we have to do is we have to pray God's agenda first. Pray God's agenda first. God has a will. God has an agenda. God has a prayer list. A few weeks ago, I was in, I was downtown at our back to school or, uh, yeah, back to school event that we do downtown in our communities, and we gave away shoes, and we gave away backpacks, and it was awesome. And I was there with my two kids, and I was there with my, my I have a seven-year-old, and I have a five-year-old, both boys. And my seven-year-old was playing basketball, and my five-year-old was over on the playground. And because I'm too big to play on a playground, I was over with my seven-year-old playing basketball. But you know how you do as a parent. You kind of look over and make sure your, your other kid is doing okay. And so I'm playing basketball. I get a little bit caught up, and I look over, and my five-year-old is no longer on the playground. And there aren't any kids on the playground. And I look around, I'm like, where did he go? And I kind of do the parent scan, you know, you look across and you look for the parent scan and I can't find him. And I had that moment that every parent has where you start to freak out, but you start trying to go, don't freak out, not yet. And then you start asking the question, when? Like, when do you start, like, when do you start yelling? Like, when do you, right on! Like, when do you start yelling? Like, when is that, that moment? And for about two minutes, I couldn't find him for about two minutes and had that zone. And you know, you know what my prayer list was at that moment? It was real short. There was one piece on my prayer list. You know what my prayer list was? Find my son. You know what I think God's prayer list, the number one thing on his prayer list is? Help him find his kids. 
I believe one of the things that when we pray that we need to do before we get into asking the things that we want to ask for and go into all the things that we have and all the needs we have, I think one of the best things we can do is we can slow down and start praying for the lost people in our lives, the lost people, the lost kids who do not know him as a heavenly father, the lost kids who do not know God in the way they need to go. And we need to pray for them and pray that God would open their eyes and pray that we would have opportunities to show them the love of Jesus and we'd be able to show them those things that we start praying for those people in our world, our family, our coworkers, our bosses, our friends, our neighbors, that we need to start praying for those people and pray his agenda first. But in Matthew chapter nine, Jesus says, don't just pray for the lost. Also pray for the laborers. Pray that God would send people that he could actually go, they would actually go out and reach out to people who are far from him. And here's what I would say. I believe that we need to pray for the lost. We also need to pray for the laborers. I think one of the best things that we do as a church, we do this every prayer and fasting, is we pray for other churches in our community. I think we need to pray for the churches in our community. I believe we need to pray for this church and this community. I believe we need to pray for Pastor Matt and Sarah as they lead this church and this community. I believe we need to lift them up because we need to pray for the laborers that they would continue to go out and reach the lost kids. Because I believe on God's agenda, the number one thing is that his lost children. We believe that everyone spends eternity somewhere and God does not want to spend eternity without any one of his children. And there's a side note. Let me just say this. If you are a Christian, like if you're following Jesus, if that's what you do, I believe one of the, one of the things that God wants to be on our heart is that we would be a part of helping him find his children. In fact, I believe that as found kids, that one of the parts of our mission, of our life mission, should be to help to find the lost kids. I believe that's what God wants. In fact, when my, when my five-year-old was lost, I couldn't find him, I told my seven-year-old, I said, hey, quit playing basketball, help me find your brother. Okay? Here's the reason why, I needed his help to find a brother. And he, you know what he said to me? But I wasn't playing basketball. <laughs> I don't care what you're doing right now. And I think for some of us, our life We're not out finding lost kids. Our life is not on a mission to help others. Our life is not on a, we do not serve here. We do not serve, we do not give on a regular basis. You know why? Because we got too much else going on. We got the job and the promotion and the boat and the fishing and the hobby and the whatever else we have going on in our world. But I, and again, I don't think we have to give all of that up but I believe there should be a piece of our life and a piece of our heart that is devoted and dedicated to going and finding the lost kids because we are the found ones. I believe one of the best things we can do, and I would say this about Next Level Church, this is a church who's dedicated to going and finding the lost ones. And if you're here at Next Level for a very long period of time, here's what we're going to realize. Part, a big part of our mission is to go and find the lost kids. And if you don't go and find the lost kids, what's going to happen is eventually you're going to get tired of being here because the music's going to be louder than some of us want. The music's going to be a little bit different than what we want. The preaching's going to be a little bit more in your face and a little bit more relevant, all those things. And you know why? Because we have to be a church when lost kids come in, they can actually reconnect with the loving Jesus. And if you want to remember why we do what we do here as a church, go invite someone to the church. And as soon as you invite someone to this church, you know what's going to happen? <laughs> You're going to be so glad that there's an army of greeters and someone walks around with cookies or donuts. Come on, Jesus. Yes. Like, like we remember why we do what we do when we are about reaching the lost. And we have to be, as found kids, we have to live our lives. And part of our lives is going after the lost. And, 
If you've been here for a while, you've never been to Discover, you've never plugged into serving, man, you've got to go to a Discover event because part of our mission, part of our heart, because it is our Father's heart, we've got to go out and we've got to be the found kids to go and find the lost kids because that's what God wants us to do. And as we pray, we pray His agenda first. Who's on your prayer list? Are there people who do not know him on your prayer list? I have three people right now that I'm praying for. Three people right now that I know are not following after Jesus. I'm praying for them, that I'm, I'm just, I believe that God is going to reach out to them. And I'm praying for opportunity to talk to them, opportunity to invite them to church, opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. I'm just saying, God, any way that I can talk to them, let me talk. If you want me to talk to them about you, I'll talk to them about you. If you want me to, uh, if you want me to invite them to church, I'll invite them to church. Another way for me, God, give me opportunities to invite them to advance one day. Because there are some people who wouldn't, wouldn't come to church. There's some people that honestly, they're not coming to church. But here's what I know, and this has been so amazing about Advance One Day. It's a business leaders event. There were over a thousand people last year. But we had business leaders tell us, I would never set foot into a church. And then I came to Advance One Day, and I realized you guys are pastors, and you're not weird. I mean, you may argue that, but you're not weird. And they started coming to church. They took a step in. And if you have people in your world that are business leaders and people who are in the business, world, business community and you think, they ain't ever coming to church, here's what I would do. Go buy them a ticket for advance one day, give them the ticket for advance one day because it will be a step in the direction of Jesus. And so for me, I'm praying right now for people in my world. Who can actually come? Who can I invite? Who can be a part of what's going on? Because I want to be about God's agenda and not just my own. So we pray. We pray God's agenda first. Now he says in verse three, give us each day our daily bread. The fourth thing is this, is to ask, ask. Uh, this is kind of, this is where we pray for our needs. And honestly, this is like, we got this. In fact, I would say a lot of our prayers, this is what it is. When we pray, it's God, I need this and this and this and this and this. Thank you. See you later. Like that's kind of the way we pray sometimes. And here, but, but here's what I would say. I think it is right to ask. In fact, I think God will supply our need. God will be there to help us in our times of trouble, and God will give us some things, and he'll meet our needs when we pray. But here's what I would suggest. I would suggest that for a lot of us, when we ask, we ask for the immediate and the urgent. Those are like the two areas we focus on. We, we, we focus on what's happening right now. We focus on the promotion that's coming up right now. We focus on the season of life right now. And if you're a, a parent of young children, like you're praying a lot at 3 a.m. as they wake up, or you're potty training right now, I mean, you are praying like crazy. I mean, that's, so that's the zone you're in. And so, you know, you pray in, the, in what's happening in the immediate and the urgent things that's happening right now. You pray for the marriage that's happening right now. But I would suggest for some of us, one of the best things we can do in prayer is to actually zoom out and not just pray for the immediate and the urgent, but also pray for the significant things that are coming up long term in our lives. And when's the last time that we slowed down and started praying for the long term things, the things that can have a lasting impact in our lives? When's the last time we prayed for what's coming in five years? for our 10-year goals, where we want to be in 20 years in our marriage. When's the last time we prayed for our kids' spouses, even if they're small? One of the things my wife and I have started doing, we started praying for our kids' spouses because at five and seven, our kids' spouses are probably alive right now. And we're praying for them. We're praying that God is going to reach them. That he's gonna, they're going to be godly women. That, you know, that we were praying all these things for our kids' spouses. Because we don't want to think of just what's happening right now in their life right now. We're trying to pray for our kids into the future of what's going to happen. When's the last time that we started asking for things happening 
in the future and where we're going to be in the future. If all we pray for are the urgent and the immediate things, we're missing a huge opportunity to trust God for the significant components of what's going on in and through our lives. But we do have to ask, and I believe that God loves it when we ask. Verse 4, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. The fifth thing is this, deal with sin. Deal with sin. The great thing, and I just love this, and I think if this is all prayer was, man, I just think this is so amazing, that Jesus, at 1 John it says, if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is forgiveness of sin. There is no sin that has made you too far gone. And in our prayer time, one of the best things we can do is go, God, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I struggled with. Here's what I did. Here's what I went through. There is forgiveness of sin when we pray. And this is a great opportunity because it cleanses our heart. But he says, forgive our sins as we, for we also forgive those who sin against us. This is also a great opportunity for us in our heart to forgive those who have hurt us, to forgive those who have, who, that have messed with us. Because when we have sin in our heart that's been unconfessed to God, it will, it, will, it will mess our heart up. But when we have unforgiveness towards others, it also messes our heart up as well. In Matthew chapter 5, it says in verse 23 and 24, it says, If you are offering a gift at the altar, so they used to offer gifts at the altar, sacrifices at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. In other words, stop praying, stop worshiping, stop doing that. Leave that gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Basically, what he's saying there is that, that, that when we are disconnected relationally with others, it also disconnects us relationally with God. And the way I say it to my son, Carson, I say, you know, we, we live like this. We live like this with God. We live like this with others. And you know what sin does? Sin separates us. And we have to confess, and what confession does with God is it brings us back with God, and we have to forgive, and forgiveness brings us back with others. And we need to confess, and we need to forgive, because unforgiveness will cause two things. It will cause disunity in our family, disunity in this church, disunity in our lives, disunity in our connection groups, disunity in our relationships, disunity in our workplace. And when there is disunity, there is unrest, and it will mess with us. And it will, what will happen is we will lose the power in the area where we don't have unity. And the second thing it'll do, it'll cause bitterness to grow in our heart. Someone said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. It's like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. And when I've talked about this before and talked about forgiveness, one of the common things that people say to me is, you talk about forgiveness, but Mike, you don't know what they did to me. You don't understand what they did. But here's what I would say, that if you do not forgive, if we do not forgive, that unforgiveness will cause bitterness, and bitterness will cause us to treat the people we love the most poorly. And the people that we're close with do not deserve to be treated that way more than the person does not deserve to be forgiven. So we have to forgive and we have to let them go. We have to deal with sin. In verse four, he says, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. The sixth thing is this, confront the enemy. Confront the enemy. A more accurate translation is, do not let us be led into temptation. Don't let us be led into temptation. And here's, here's just a truth that, that if you're a Christian, man, this is so good to know and so important. The Bible talks about the devil. Jesus talks about the devil. Everywhere in the Bible talks about the devil. We actually believe the devil's real. 
And we believe that as a Christian and as someone who's actually a part of what God's doing uh, in, in different areas of our lives, that there is, a, there is an enemy to our faith who is working actively against us and aggressively against us, that there is an enemy who's actually working to split up our marriage, who's actively working to get our kids off track, who's actively working to move us in the wrong direction, who's actively working to get this church to stop doing what it's doing, who's actively working to move us in the wrong direction. There is an enemy to our faith, and in our prayer time, it is our opportunity to draw a line in the sand and say, that's not going to work here. And we pray protection over our family and protection over our church and protection over our lives and protection over our marriage and purity in our lives. And we pray that, that we, we pray an opportunity, this is our opportunity to pray and say, God, we're just going to ask for you to move and you to be the protector, you to be the healer. And Satan, in Jesus' name, you don't have any place here. And this is our opportunity to confront the enemy. This is our opportunity to pray over our lost children and our lost family members, the hurting, the helpless, the broken against violence. This is our opportunity to pray for peace. And then James says, if we resist the devil, he will flee. This is our opportunity when we pray to resist the devil. And then Matthew chapter six, a lot of us know the end of the Lord's prayer this way, 613. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, I love about this. The seventh thing is this. Submit to God. This is our opportunity as we close out our prayer time, as we're individual prayer time. This is our opportunity to say, God. I asked you for a lot of things, God. I confronted the enemy, God. I looked at this and I saw the circumstance and I don't think the circumstance is right and I don't like how this is going and I don't like how my job's going and I really, really, really want this promotion and I really want this to work and I really want these things to work out. But at the end of the day, I trust you. (laughs) And there's a circumstance that I don't like, but I trust you. This is our opportunity to say, God, I can't see behind the scenes, but you can And because you can see behind the scenes and you are a loving heavenly father and you will work everything for my good, I trust you. And if I don't get the promotion, I trust you. And if she doesn't say yes to marrying me, I trust you. And if things don't work out like I think they need to work out, my kid doesn't get in the right school and they don't get the right teacher and they don't get there, God, I trust you. And this is our opportunity to trust him. And to say, even though I prayed all these things, Jesus, we slowed down. And we trust you. If we want to pray desperate prayers that get God's attention, we have to approach God as a loving father, worship God as our savior, pray God's agenda first, ask, deal with sin, confront the enemy, and then submit to God. So here's my challenge for us this week. As we've learned how to pray like the disciples learned how to pray, that one time during the day, you pray through the Lord's Prayer. You pray these seven things. Maybe you know the Lord's Prayer and you can stop throughout. Maybe you just need the sheet of paper that you filled out notes or your phone, you filled out notes and you just pray. And here's what I encourage you to do. Take one minute for every seven things. Or maybe two minutes, or maybe three minutes. You one minute, seven minutes of time with God. You take two minutes, 14, three minutes, 21 and so on. But spend some time and actually pray through all seven of these and watch what God begins to do in our heart and watch what God begins to do in our lives. Also, I'd encourage you, maybe that's at 7.14 in the morning or night, but it's our opportunity to pray as we're praying those things and we can slow down and pray. And then here's what I would say this coming Saturday. We have a prayer meeting. It's from 9 to 10. And this prayer meeting is going to be, man, it's going to be incredible. It's happening at both campuses. It's happening in the auditorium. Come to the prayer meeting. Spend some time in prayer with him. 
desperate prayers get God's attention. Let us be people, as we are being desperate throughout this whole series, throughout this whole 40 days, let us be people who pray desperate prayers and get God's attention and that we walk with him as our heavenly father. Let's pray together. Jesus, right now, we pray to you, our Father in heaven, that, Lord, we approach you as a loving Father. And we thank you, and we are so blown away that you love us. And we're so grateful that we can come to you as a Father who loves us and cares for us. Lord, we say, hallowed be your name, and we worship you, and we hold you up as high, and we know that in the midst of our problems, our circumstances are nothing compared to you. And so, God, we lift you up, and we thank you for being a big God. Lord, we say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, we pray for your lost children. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to go out and to be the kids who go and help the kids, help the lost kids, Jesus. God, I pray for our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends. Come on, if you have someone in your mind right now that you want to pray for, pray for that person right now. Jesus, we pray that they would see you and know you and use us to do that, Jesus. God, we pray that you give us our day each day our daily bread. Lord, I pray for the needs. I pray that you would meet the needs, not only now, but also the needs that are happening in the future. And that Jesus, that there's a, there's a bright future, an amazing destiny in this room with the people in this room, Jesus. Pray that you forgive us our sins, and for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And that God, we pray that you would forgive any of the sins that we confess, Jesus. You, would conf- you forgive us those things, but also you would reconcile relationships with you and with others. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, I pray protection over our families, protection over our church, protection over Matt and Sarah, Pastor Matt and Sarah, protection over our lives, Jesus, that, Lord, you would be strong, and, God, that we would not give the devil a foothold, but we would resist him, and he would flee from us. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And, God, we say that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, and we submit to you, and we say even though we may want to go in any direction, whatever direction that you want us to go, we will follow, and we submit our will and our desires to you. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. If your life has been impacted through this ministry, we would love to hear your story. Send us an email to mystory at nextlevelchurch.com. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. Also, if you want to support what God is doing here, you can do so through our website, nextlevelchurch.com. Your generosity is making an impact here and around the world. Thank you so much for joining us online and have a great week.